1935, long before Facebook and social networking sites, a group of young mothers from all over the UK decided to overcome their sense of isolation by forming what they called a cooperative correspondence club. The magazine the club produced, for over 50 years, forms a unique record of female friendship in the latter part of the 20th century. Yet almost no one knew it even existed before Jenna Bailey chanced upon it in an archive. I asked Jenna how the CCC began. The way it started was a lot of women were reading a magazine called The Nursery World, which was a magazine for young mothers at the time where they could get advice or buy and sell prams and things like that. And one woman writing under the pseudonym Ubique wrote in an article saying, can any mother help me? I'm a mother of four and I'm kind of struggling and I'm looking for an occupation that will intrigue me and cost nothing. And several women wrote back to her saying, I feel exactly the same way, perhaps we could correspond. But so many women wrote to Ubique that she couldn't correspond individually with them, so they decided to write to each other in sort of a group format. So what the women agreed to do was write to each other in the form of a correspondence magazine. So the way a correspondence magazine works is there's one editor, and every woman agrees to write an article for each edition of the magazine. They mail it to the editor, the editor compiles it and hand stitches them together. So there's only one copy of each magazine, and she mails it from woman to woman. And as each woman reads it, she writes comments directly in the margins, so the text sort of grows as it gets passed around. And they agreed that they would do this twice a month. And how much of an idea did they have at the start of the kind of subjects they wanted to write about, and how much did it grow organically? It was quite organic. In the beginning, they agreed that because these were women, they were all mothers. You had to be a mother to be a part of the group, they said. And so they were looking for something sort of that would distract them from their life as a mother. They were looking for some sort of an intellectual pursuit. So the one thing they did agree upon in the beginning years was that they would write more about religion or about politics, about literature, and less about their family life. And particularly because they were strangers, I think that seemed a more natural way of communicating with each other. But as they wrote to each other more often, they got to know each other better. And so it just naturally became more intimate discussions in the magazine. And what kind of backgrounds did they, the women come from? It was quite a diverse group of women. They ranged all across the middle class. And there were there was one working class woman who very definitely defined herself as working class. And there were a handful of women that had been in working class families that had worked their way up. But there were women in the upper middle class as well totally different in terms of political beliefs. There were there were conservatives, there were liberals, there were soldiers' wives, and there were wives of conscientious objectors. And personality-wise, the range was extremely diverse. Lots of quiet, conservative, and then a lot of outlandish, loud, sort of obnoxious <laughs> characters. So it was really wide-ranging. And the personalities really do come across in the writing, don't they? As you go through the book, you, you arrange the book thematically, you have characters who keep coming back in different sections and your view of them develops. And I suppose their personalities develop over the, the years, the decades they were writing for the magazine. Definitely. In some ways, they, they, you kind of forget that they're real people because they have these very distinctive personalities that they feel like characters almost in mm. a way. And they come across very strongly. And so many people have said to me, after reading the book, I really felt like I knew those women. Mm. And I feel like I know them too, even the ones that I've never met their personality comes across so clearly in their writing that you feel that you have a sense of them. Now going back to the early years, started in 1935 and then the war comes along within a few years, do you think the war was a really critical shaping time for these women and for their writing? 
Definitely. I think the war really shaped them as a group because they were just sort of gearing up. It took them a while to get going in full motion. So then the war came and it really could have been a time to break them up because of the different views, points that everyone had and the different lifestyles and choices they were making at the time. And it was very emotional and a very heated time. But in a way, it's funny, it actually worked the opposite way and it totally solidified this group of women as lifelong friends, partially because it was just really interesting debate and they really stimulated and it made them grow together. But more importantly, because uh, the men were usually away, most of the women in the CCC, the name of the Cooperative Correspondence Club um, magazine, had to move a lot during the war and had to send their kids away a lot during the war. And so the magazine was the one constant during the war. They kept it up every month for the, the whole length of the war. And it was it was some sort of a safety net for them. It was someone that they always could rely on and the friends that they knew were there the whole time. And in fact, the magazine throughout its life was a way of coping with the vicissitudes that life threw at them, wasn't it? Definitely. age and change. Everything, because it was really an intimate magazine and because the women were living all over the UK, they were able to be very honest and disclose a lot of things that they might not have said to close friends that they were seeing more regularly. So it really became a huge source of support and place where they could really, they, they say it was the place where you could finally stop putting up a stiff upper lip and, mm. and actually show your true colours. Mm. Now, having discovered this amazing archive, how did you then begin to research further and trace that some of the, the women and find out more about the stories behind what they'd written? Well, it was quite fun for me because what happened was the... The surviving papers of the of the magazine were donated to the Mass Observation Archive at, at Sussex, but they weren't available to researchers because one of the women, Rose, who's still alive, she's 101 now, donated it to the archive without asking any of the other women. And so there were a lot of copyright problems when I came onto the scene. So what I did after I read through the papers, I just started trying to trace the families of the women that didn't know, or the families that didn't know that these papers were still in existence and that they had been in this archive. So I spent about eight months or so sort of tracing, mostly through the grandchildren, they were easier to find, and contacting the families and letting them know that these papers still existed and that they were in an archive. And all of the families knew about the CCC because it had been such a big part of their mother's lives, but a lot of them certainly didn't realize that the papers had survived. And most of them hadn't read it because the premise of the magazine was that only the women in the group could read it. So they were very intrigued and very excited for this chance to read more about mm. their mother and a, an opportunity to get to know their mother in a way that they wouldn't have had when they were younger. And so it was very exciting and I, I traced them all over England and then I went and met with the, gra- with the children rather and interviewed them and filled in the bio- biography of, of the women and also I went through the articles with the families and had them fill in the details from what was missing in the articles that no longer sort of mm. exist. And you, you've met several of the, the women? Yes, there's four of them still alive. I'm mostly in contact with Rose, who, as I said, she's 101 now, and she lives in London. And she's the one that donated the paper, so she was very keen for this to be published mm. and to be sort of made public. And so she was a great help for me and she read through everything and told me about all the women and all the history of the group and everything and she was 
recruited in 1938 to join the CCC, so she was one of the longest established members. And there's three others that I've worked with, which were sort of new recruits. In the 1950s, the CCC's numbers were dropping a little bit, so they wanted to bring in some new members. So the three other women that are still alive were part of the sort of newbies brought in in the 50s. So they're a little bit younger than Rose. They're in their late 80s, but also equally interesting, bright, <laughs> just very different, but very, very smart women. And that brings me to something else that struck me about the correspondence, that the harshness of their lives, really, although they rarely complain, it's all done with great good humour, but the things they cope with compared to what um, we think of as you know, a hard time now, it's really very striking comparison. I it's think. amazing. I was shocked at just how, how hard they had to work to make a house function. I mm. was very ignorant about that, but just, <laughs> I mean, the one article written by Kitty about how she, you know, they create their own electricity and all, and running the bathwater and all these things, and you just think, now you don't consider those things, but the amount of work they had to do making all the kids' clothing, and they just... I mean, I think from sunup to sundown and then some, they were just working constantly and physically exhausted. But I I think that they became the strongest women. I mean, I see Akidia now and she's, I think she, she's in her, she's in her mid eighties now. And you know, she doesn't heat her house. She's still, she's, I mean, I'm freezing when I'm there, but I think she's just thick skinned for mm. all of the experiences that they went through and they just had to work really hard. Yes. You say that one of the subjects they didn't write a great deal about was the marriages, and they, they, they come up more tangentially rather than being the focus of what they write. But what kind of picture of, of I suppose, mid-century marriage do you think comes out of, of the magazine? Well, I think it's difficult to say that based on this group of women because I suspect that these marriages were slightly unconventional. Maybe not unconventional, I mean, I think they still were quite traditional marriages. The man was the bread earner, and the woman, I mean, definitely had to stay at home. And when this magazine started in the 1930s, there were marriage bars in place, which meant that the women legally had to leave their jobs once they were married, if they were in any sort of civil service job. Um, but I think within the within the individual couples in this group, there was a lot, of, a lot more equality, maybe, than the typical relationship, or at least is what I would understand the more typical relationship, because I think these women were very, very bold and and, and oftentimes were sort of the, the head of the family, at least in the home, not necessarily mm. financially, though. But do you think, I mean, one, one impression that I got was perhaps the book was about thwarted ambition. They were finding ways of expressing themselves and doing all they could, but society didn't really allow them. I mean, as you said, often didn't allow them to continue a career after marriage. And even even those who did, the, the options open to them were, were limited to things like teaching and so on. And yet, they're all very intelligent women, often highly educated women. Is it true to say that it's an outlet for ambition that couldn't be directed anywhere else because of the time they lived? Definitely, I think that's exactly true. I think, and I think you're right, I think it is was that society really wasn't geared toward letting them express themselves or sort of experience the things that they would have wanted to experience. And I definitely, with this group of women, I'm sure most of them would have wanted to continue their careers and expressly said so to one another. And that's why this was such a brilliant outlet for them, what they did have a chance to experiment with their writing and really debate and discuss what they thought were what were important issues, but that they didn't really have an opportunity to talk about in any other form. And they were really pigeonholed into being being domesticated women and being mothers and that wasn't what a lot of them were naturally inclined to be and therefore were quite disappointed with 
sort of what they were stuck with and they're mm. not in terms of options. I think the contribution to the whole book that struck me the most, you probably won't be surprised if I say, was Isis's. I imagine that's that's quite a common reaction. And she writes a sequence of really quite confessive pieces about an affair that she almost had in, in the mid-1940s and the terrible aftermath and the things that were going on in life. And what did you think when you when you came across that for the first time? Because it seems it seems more raw. You know, she's she's exposing more of herself really than many of the other con- contributions. I think so. Well, I I just thought that that bit was very sad. To be honest, I think that's one of the saddest books. It's one of the most interesting parts in the book, definitely, and because it's a bit more fluid than the rest, of the pieces are are, are shorter con- contributions. And I just felt I felt that the pieces are very sad because I think with whatever happens to most of the women in the group they're very independent and they're very strong and you feel like kind of safe in their hands because you think you know that they can get through anything Mm. whereas I felt Isis was not as empowered as a lot of the other women and was sort of not abused but not treated very well in a lot of her relationships so I think it's a very sad piece and a very sad a sad story that that could happen to a woman uh, in that time and, mm. and possibly now but I think it was just very harsh treatment that she received and well she's coping with a Down syndrome baby yes and she's she's clearly depressed and she's kind of pushed towards ECT and really you know her her, her autonomy really seems to be rapidly disappearing yeah, and she doesn't seem very loved mm. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a lot of love in her relationship and and not a lot of support. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, having a Down syndrome child is extremely difficult. And, you know, that's why there's support groups and people you can talk to. And I think at that time, it just wasn't, there wasn't that sort of structure and support. And I think she was really on her own. And, and her partner was really not supportive of her at all. And, and really almost blamed her for the child mm. um, having Down syndrome. He seems to turning away from her. He doesn't, he doesn't want sort of recognize it in, in, a, in a sense and she's left to cope on her own yeah and um, there's just a lot of resentment I think between them about that so and she I mean she has three other boys I mean let alone you know she has four boys it's already a difficult situation without a supportive partner and then then she has you know this down syndrome the fourth one and and I think she turns to the doctor because it's the only person in her life that's kind to her mm. and that's willing to help her and talk to her about these things and makes her feel a little bit normal, I think. Now, the women did meet. They weren't purely correspondents. How did the meetings come about and how often did they happen? Well, it started off, I gather, during the war years because sort of by necessity. So, I mean, some of the women billeted the other women's children and some of the families stayed with one another. And also if they lived near one another, they would visit. And so it sort of developed in, right in the early years. And also at some point during the war, about eight of them rented a schoolhouse where they lived for a month, just the women and the children, which to me seems quite unusual. So sort of during the war, they would meet up when it was uh, possible. And then after the war, they just started to have, decided to have yearly luncheons. So they would have them usually in London. And most of the women made an effort to go. I mean, some of the women never got a chance to meet because they lived on opposite ends. Mm. And, you know, one would go one year to the lunch and one would go the other year. And they just never crossed Mm. paths. But a lot of the women were faithful and went every year to the lunch. And so there was a core of about 15 of them that became very solid friends and saw each other a lot. 
and definitely those that lived near one another continued to meet up and you know some of them even went on vacations together so it definitely developed into more you know face-to-face friendships for mm. the majority of the women and as the women reached old age how did how did the the nature of their concerns change the sort of later years in the CCC were very different. They're way less sort of dynamic, I would say. Probably just because they're such old friends at that point that they have way much, they have less to debate about. So, but the one thing that really dominated the writing and their concerns was being a carer generally. Almost all of them ended up taking care of their husbands and struggled a lot with that. So that was when another time they really needed support. So they really took care of each other during those years. And it really, it was, you know, probably just the last 10 years of the magazine are quite sad, actually, because some of the members themselves are, are unwell and start dying. Mm. And so they start losing their friends. And then as well, the members that are alive are taking care of, almost all taking care of their husbands and struggling with that and struggling with the loss of their partners. So it was very... It was a very necessary time for them to be writing to each other, but it was also a very sad time. I, I think I think it it wore down the women a bit. I mean, some of them wrote about saying it's it's like a ghastly Agatha Christie novel. This <laughs> picking mm. up the CCC, it's just one tragedy after mm. after another. So. And I started out reading the book, and I thought, ah, oh, this is a bit like it's a bit like blogging, or it's a bit like online forums. And then I thought that's that's rather superficial because really, this project is created by the constraints you know, not just the communication restraints, but actually the restraints around their lives. And it's hard to imagine anything resembling it in the modern world, although it's only, you know, 50, 50 years old or so, 60 years old. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. A lot of people draw comparisons to forums and chat rooms. And I think that's true. I think it exists on a very superficial, almost a structural level. Mm. It's similar with one main post and then mm. side comments continuing after that. But I think you're right. I mean, this is even though it's it's communication based as those are this is way more about people connecting with people on a fundamental level at a very deep n- deep need and and maybe in some ways blogs and forums fill a need uh, in the same way but i think just less um just in a more as you said a more superficial way mm. the book was published last year what kind of reaction have you had to well, yeah, the reaction has been amazing, actually. I've been very surprised and very pleased. But my thing, the thing I like best is that people like this sort of as an insight into women in the 20th century and that specific time period. But mostly what I really enjoy is that young mothers now are coming up to me saying, I feel exactly the way they do. And I think that's what's been most interesting about the feedback is that any women most women rather and most mothers say like I've been in that situation and even though you know the specifics are different and obviously there's a lot more conveniences and a lot more support for mothers nowadays that fundamentally that sense of isolation and losing yourself and your you know your identity um, I think it happens probably to almost all mothers and so a lot of women have been in touch and lots of different women groups have have said oh that's like us you know you should hear about us we got together in the 60s when we were all young mums and we're still in touch so there, I think there's lots of similar style groups I don't think mostly mostly there are groups that meet in person though there aren't a lot of writing groups because I think as most people know writing is sort of a dying art in mm. a sense or writing by post. And is it true that the CCC archive survived almost by chance that didn't didn't some of the members suggest it should be destroyed it shouldn't live on at all 
Well, no one suggested that the CCC should be destroyed, but no one kept it on purpose. Mm. The intent of the magazine was never was that no one else would ever read it. I just don't think they had that in mind at the time. Mm. It really mm. was such a desperate, immediate need that mm. there wasn't any thought to the future. So what was kept was just mostly what the editor of the magazine, whose pseudonym was Ad Astra, sort of kept, because she, she was the editor the whole time, so she, over the years, kept some of her favorite articles. So she had a bunch of it at her house, and then some of the other women would ask for their submissions back after the magazine went round, and so they would keep what they thought was a nice article mm. for, for themselves. So it's just sort of a ragtag bunch of, of papers that are left. So they were stitched, and then they were unstitched after the yes. magazine had circulated. They reused the, the covers were linen covers, hand-stitched by Ad Astra mostly, and, and they were very beautiful and precious, and so they couldn't have produced 24 of them <coughs> a year, so they reused them. And so what exists now is not in magazine format anymore. They're, they're in loose articles that are, in, um, that are stored by a contributor now in the archive. Jenna Bailey, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. <laughs>